Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. I will be reading from the New International Version, 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him like, li- like the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders reject has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were designed for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In 1951, across the bay, Robert Munger, the then pastor of First Presbyterian Church, preached a sermon that became so popular it was immediately put in print and has remained in print to this day. Perhaps many of you know of it. Some of you perhaps have read it. It is called My Heart, Christ's Home. In that sermon, Munger described the great glory of the gospel was that the spirit of the living Christ does not dwell in temples made with hands, but through the miracle of his outpoured spirit, dwells in human hearts. At the outset of the sermon, he described his own conversion this way. One evening, I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. He came into the darkness and turned on the light. He built a fire in the cold hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness, and he filled the emptiness with his own loving fellowship. In the course of that sermon, now a booklet, Munger takes Christ through all the rooms of the home, which is his heart. They go first to the study, they call it then the library, and Munger is ashamed of the volumes on the walls, and Christ says that he will help him stock it with books which are pure and good and true 
and helpful and to make the Bible central. Interestingly, Munger is also ashamed of the pictures on the wall, and so Christ gives him a picture of himself and says, hang this centrally on the wall of your mind. They pass a closet, they detect an odor, Christ helps them clean it out, they go to a workroom, it has a wonderful bench and tools, and Christ asks him what he is making there for kingdom purposes. Again, Munger is ashamed. He happens to be building a couple of small toys. Nothing really wrong with that in its own context, but in this context he's ashamed. And Christ promises that if he works with him, if he gives him his hands, he will walk through him. They go to the recreation room, and Munger learns that uh, the only enjoyment can come when he takes Christ everywhere, when he plays with Christ. He says, Lord, I realize I can't even have a good time without you. From now on, we will do everything together. Munger takes Christ to his favorite room, the dining room, and he describes his favorite dishes, money, academic degrees, stocks, with newspaper articles of fame and fortune on the side. And Christ tells him, if you want food that really satisfies you, seek the will of the Father and not your own pleasures, not your own desires, not your own satisfaction. Seek to please me, my righteousness. And that food will satisfy you. My personal favorite room, not the one that's saved to last, I've actually put it out of order, but because it's my favorite room is the living room. It's filled with a beautiful fire in the hearth and overstuffed chairs. And Christ promises Munger to meet him there early every morning. Meet me here and we'll start the day together. And Munger describes they're doing that and they're doing it so well. And then time carries on and he gets busy and he forgets about it. And he's rushing out one morning and he looks into the living room and there is Christ sitting and waiting for him, and then the dialogue goes like this. He says, Master, forgive me. Have you been there all these mornings? And Christ says, yes. And then he goes on and says, I told you I would be here every morning to meet you. The trouble is you've been thinking of the quiet time as only a factor in your own life, your own spiritual progress, but you've forgotten that this time means something to me. I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I value your fellowship. Now. Well, the sermon ends with uh, Munger realizing that he's trying to make Christ a guest in his home, where the only way that it's right is if he is a guest in Christ's home. That was way things are righteous and right side up. So, he runs to his, um, he calls it safety box. I guess we'd say today, um, what do we have keys for in the bank? Security deposit box. He gets the deed to his home and he hands it over to Christ and the sermon ends with a prayer. May Christ settle down and be at home in your heart as Lord. It's a fine message. It occurred to me that that's the only message I knew, only contemporary message about buildings and spirituality, but scripture does go to that place, not using the metaphor for an individual life, but for a corporate life. 
church has many images, or the Bible has many images of the church as a family, as a body, as a bride. As with some accommodations for this, as a kingdom. But in our text today, and in 1 Corinthians, and in Ephesians, it likens the church to a building. First Peter, you heard these words describes the church as a building with every Christian a living stone that is built into it. Listen to the same, a similar picture as Paul gives it to us in Ephesians, the second chapter. You are members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now this image of the church as a building seems at first a bit odd, a bit wrong. It's not as warm and as organic as family, even kingdom, certainly body, or my favorite, bride. But I believe if we probe even a little bit, we'll see that the picture is being used because the church forming a building is actually a picture of a close, deep, intimate kind of relationship. The picture of members fitting into one another and forming a building is one way of suggesting the closeness, the intimacy, the connection, the belonging that God is calling his people to when he calls her a house of God. It's possible for members of a family to be scattered far abroad. Most of us, many of ours, are. Throughout the country, throughout the world, we're thankful that we live in a time where we can have approximations of physical closeness through telephones and cell phones and Skype, and they are valuable, and we use them. But visiting family once a year is different than living lives rubbing up shoulder to shoulder next to those to which God puts us in proximity. It is that picture of the church which I believe Peter in our text this morning and Paul in other texts is trading upon when he says we are being called to be living stones built into one another. The King James says we are to be fitly framed together. If you think about the pieces of this uh, five-decade-old structure that is so immediately connected, it wasn't always so. There were, I imagine those are, might be two by sixes boards. They were one time in a lumber yard. There was cement which hadn't been formed, much less poured. There were doors that we just learned that have come later. There have been things been added, but they were at one time disparate in different places. And being brought here, they are connected. They work together. They touch one another. I'm convinced if we are to be a body, a bride, a family together, we have to have touch points, places where we meet. It doesn't have to be property we own, but it does have to be places 
where there are touch points where we share life together. We have been brought together with different economic situations, different ethnic backgrounds, different interests. But Jesus Christ has taken us disparate people and put us together, joined us together in his building. In Ephesians, Paul puts it this way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one. If we are living stones, it's an odd image, isn't it? But surely it must mean at least this, that he takes us and knocks off the rough edges and forms us and fashions us so that we fit together, so that we work together, so that we touch one another, so that we are together. Winston Churchill famously said, we shape our buildings and they thereafter they shape us. If we are to be the real building of God, then we need to have places where we can be together, where we can have lives together, where we can touch. Now, in some ways, Tiburon Baptist Church and Marin County have been built together. In 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge opened and Marin County's character began significantly to change. She moved from being an isolated, rural provincial, really recreational setting to a more connected, somewhat urban and cosmopolitan one. Over the past 50 years, Marin County has become known as a mecca for folk and rock musicians, a locale for spirituality in general, a catalyst for the human potential movement, a haven for nature lovers, and the womb of mountain biking. Now, with one interpretive lens, we could say the faith community of Tiburon Baptist Church reflects these themes. Tiburon Baptist has long placed a premium on the soul-shaping, God-honoring character of music. And some of the best music heard in Marin over the past 50 years was not to be found in the Sweetwater Music Hall, but within these walls. Lives that have served and worshipped here have been dedicated to tuning their hearts to spirituality, not in general, but to the creating and recreating spirit. In Christian education, evangelism, and missions, this church has sought to nurture and release the real untapped potential of the human spirit. Congregants here have loved nature second to no one. These pews have held mountain bikers, bicyclists, kayakers, fishers, runners, swimmers, hikers, sailors, iron men, skiers, pilots, and even surfers. With a different interpretive lens, though, this community could also be said to form a radical countercultural presence right at the heart of what Marin has been building for herself. This community has never tried to honor nature more than the creator God who gave it. 
This church values the Sinai rather than the Rocky Mountain High. Just appreciate the effort if that didn't work. (laughs) We have been committed to the Jesus movement rather than the human potential one. And when we speak of the Grateful Dead, we usually are referring not to a rock band, but to all the saints who have gone before and who from their labors now rest. But Marin and Tiburon Baptists have grown up together in these past 50 years. In 1957, when plans were being laid for this church building and this church, the county governor of Berlin also commissioned the soon-to-be 90-year-old Frank Lloyd Wright in what would be his last great public work to design the Civic Center. And in 1962, the county moved into their first Civic Center building, and two years later, In 1964, Tiburon Baptist moved into this one. We are sitting in these pews, worshiping in this space, educating ourselves and our children here today as a consequence of God's great grace and the faithful sacrifice given us to use for him here at this site by another generation of members. God has been building his church for almost 2,000 years. Every time there is a baptism, every time someone is added to the body of Christ, another stone is set in place. We build on the work that others have done. In Ephesians, again in the second chapter, Paul writes that we are being built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. They were the first one to preach the gospel and convert people through their evangelistic efforts and others picked up where they left off. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and others build on it. When I was thinking what we have benefited from, what we might be called to benefit others of, the image of backpackers, of hikers came to my mind, and I thought of those times, relatively few, but those times in which I afforded a rather rushing stream and have appreciated those who have set rocks and stones on the way so I had a place to stand and I pictured a scene where two hikers went across and they were rushed for time, but another stopped and went back and started putting boulders and fallen trees in the way. And his companions said, come on, we don't have time for that. And Actually, we're not going to be passing this way again. We're not going to come back this way. It's all right. And I heard the word coming back, I know, but someone else will. And I'm leaving this for him. Peter quotes uh, Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118 in our passage this morning when he points out that Christ is the stone the builders have rejected and it has become the cornerstone, the chief stone. The cornerstone is that strongest stone, the one first laid, the one whose dimensions and 
Righteousness is true and sure because the building which follows will never be more secure than the dimensions and strength that the cornerstone provides. That's the image of who we are as a building. And Scripture reinforces this time and again. We are built in Christ. We are built by Christ. We are built for Christ. We are built to Christ. He is the preoccupation. He is the cornerstone of all that we are and all that we have. There is also a purpose for the building that is given in this text. It is a great one. Paul tells us, do you see it? Our purpose is to proclaim the praises of him who called us. The verb proclaim means to tell, to share, to advertise. Our purpose as a building that Christ is building on and to and through and for him is to proclaim him. We live in a world of darkness, a world that does not know God, and it is our glad responsibility to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't exist so that people can say, what a great building you have. We don't exist even so people can say, what a great people you are. We exist so people can see and say, what a great God there is. We are given another picture to remind us eternally of who we were built on and who we are built into and how we are built together, one to another. As a people of God, as a family of faith, we are going to participate in that picture now as we gather together around the table of his love. May the deacons and pastors come to wait upon us.